Before we open God's Word and read it together, let's pray. We pray now, Father, that as we turn to Your Word to study it together, we pray that Your Spirit would illumine our hearts as we read these words. That, Heavenly Father, as we listen to them, as we think about them, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would would work in our hearts, that, Heavenly Father, we would be moved and shaped to be more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ by them. We thank You that You have not left us to ourselves, but You have as a mother whispers to her baby, condescended to us and spoken to us in words that we can, we can understand, that we can read, that we can even carry with us. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us as we come to your word this, this morning hour. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9, and there we will begin reading at verse 6. Second Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 6. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thus far the reading of God's word. I invite you to keep your Bibles there open on your laps as we... Listen to God in this passage. You all know this is Thanksgiving weekend, right? Everybody has had time to a time off from work. Uh, I hope some, everybody has had some time off from work to celebrate Thanksgiving. There's traditions that go with that where we, we meet with family and friends. Sometimes we have these big elaborate feasts. Or we watch football. We have all of these things that are wrapped up into an American Thanksgiving. It's, it's interesting that in the United States that we have this. Our government calls for a day of thanksgiving. It's unique in the world. There's only a handful of nations that do something like this. And so we live and we are encouraged to give thanks. But I'm willing to guess that if we were to seriously think about how well we do at showing gratitude, we probably would all say, I could do better. 
that there are many, many times and opportunities in my life where I fail to show gratitude. I fail to give thanks for what God has given to me or what other, other people have blessed me with. Gratitude is something that isn't a specifically Christian um, virtue. The world around us understands what gratitude is. If you were to go to Psychology Today, the magazine, and, and put a search into their magazine uh, search bar, you would find that they write about gratitude a lot. That those who live a life with gratitude, they have, um, it improves their physical health, it improves their mental health, a life of gratitude helps people to sleep better, to show empathy. It reduces our, um, our desire or the, the push to be aggressive with people because we're thankful. One of their articles ends with the words, gratitude is good medicine. But that has nothing to do with Christ. That's just a life of gratitude. And yet... It's not something that we naturally do. We have to teach our children as they're growing up from a young age, what do we have to tell them? You have to go to grandma who gave you that gift and say, thank you. We have to learn to show gratitude. We have to learn to express that we are very thankful that, that what this person has done for us, given to us, that we appreciate that. Now, I believe as image bearers of God, that's why the world can show gratitude, that as image bearers of God, that part of that image is the idea, the ability to give thanks. But as you know, because of the fall, that has all been um, perverted. That is all broken. And so we don't show gratitude as we ought. While it may be part of who we are, it isn't part of what we do because of sinfulness. We are not naturally good at it. And so here in this passage, I believe Paul is encouraging the church to, to be reflective and consider how do we express gratitude. But beyond that, how expressing gratitude is very powerful. But what I, I think what he is trying to get us to see is, as an application or as a, a moving forward point, or this is what he's getting the, wants the Corinthian church to do or to understand, is that when we express gratitude, we help others to glorify God with an attitude of gratitude. That's what I think he really, if we could boil it down to a few words, he is getting at here. And so again, we admit that our gratitude is inconsistent. Our thankfulness is not what it ought to be. What then does Paul have to say here about gratitude? The first thing that I want to point out or draw your attention to is that our gratitude and our generosity are hooked together. They are linked together. A little bit of context, verses 6 and 7. Right, That verse 7 there, it ends with that very, very familiar phrase, for God loves a cheerful giver. But what's going on here? So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking to them and encouraging them to give. The reason why that is, is in history, there was a point in time where the Jews in Jerusalem who were Christians had suffered multiple famines, and they were in dire straits. They needed the help of other churches. 
And so the churches that he had planted and ministered to, he was calling upon them and collecting, making a collection that would go back and help those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And in chapter 8, we see him talking about the Macedonians. Now, the Macedonians were were a church that he had planted, but we see at verse 2 of chapter 8 that they were in extreme poverty themselves. They themselves did not have much, but that they were begging Paul to give. We don't have much, but we want to give out of the gratitude we have for the grace shown to us through Jesus Christ. They begged to participate in the collection. And so Paul is writing now to the Corinthians because it seems the Corinthians were a little hesitant to give. And so he's calling them in verse 7, you're excellent in everything you do. Now be excellent in this. And then he goes on at length in the chapters before talking about the grace of God as they had experienced it. But here in these few verses we see then that if, you were, if you've experienced the grace of God and you're grateful for that, you're going to do something that's going to cause a response in your life here calling them to give. But he goes on and he shows how the gratitude we have begins with grace. Look at verse 8 with me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So sometimes when we read in the Bible the word grace, what does it mean? A lot of times it is saving grace. It is that grace by which God or through which God is saving us. But really the word grace in the New Testament means unmerited favor, a gift, something given to you that you don't necessarily deserve, a blessing. And then it's the context of that word grace that describes what he's talking about. Here he's talking about God's gifts to them, that more like physical gifts and things that they would be able to share with others, those gifts. We know that because of the next phrase, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. The Corinthians were wealthy. They had no monetary problems. They had no fears of where their next meal was going to come from. They had no fears in this world and the physical things that they needed to do. And we see here how God provides all that we need whenever we need it, however we need it. We will not lack one thing. Why? So that we could do good works. The last part of verse 8, so that you may abound in every good work. We live in the United States. I'm guessing that the poorest homeless person in this country is significantly better off than than most of the population of this earth. We have prosperity. Why have we, the American church, been given prosperity? I believe if we apply what Paul is getting at here, it is so that we can do every good work, so that we could be generous and help others with what we have been blessed with. That what God has given to us, right, all sufficiency in all things at all times, isn't like a child who's been given a new toy for his birthday and his sibling wants to play with it and he says, mine, and he holds it, right? Who's done that? New box of Legos and you're putting it together, right? And it's, no, I don't want anybody. We hoard it. We hoard them things to ourselves. It's our natural tendency. We just get older, we get more sophisticated with it. 
but we still want to protect our time, our treasure, our talents, and keep them to ourselves. But here we see how God gives His people all that we need so that we could abound in doing good works, that is, sharing it with others. Do you guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Right? I don't listen to him anymore, but I know what he used to say is, good people with good money can do good things. That's a summary of what Paul is kind of getting at here. That when believers who have been touched by the grace of God have money, have prosperity, have been blessed with time, treasure, and talent, we can then use those things to do good things and bless others in response as an act of gratitude for what God has done in our lives, to show us our thankfulness for that grace to us. Now, I'm going to make an assumption. We can all agree that we should be grateful for the grace that God has shown. We can be grateful for the many gifts that God has given to us. But then we run into a problem. My gift that I would give is so small. It seems to have zero power, zero effect, because it's little. My time, my talent, my treasure isn't that big of a deal, and so it feels useless. What difference can I make? What I want us to see next is some promises that God makes about the gifts we give in generosity. That when our gratitude expresses itself through generosity, God will empower it. All right? Look at what verse 9 says. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a quote from Psalm 112. And so we see that this person has distributed freely, he has an attitude of gratitude, he has given to the poor, he's generous, his righteousness endures forever. Now maybe that word righteousness is kind of, hmm, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I'm, I, I give to the church or I give to this mission or whatever, it's going to give me righteousness? Because that's sometimes when we see the word righteousness in the Bible, that's what we're thinking about. A righteousness that we have before God, a vertical righteousness that we cannot have in any way other, through, other than through Jesus Christ. That we are unholy before God, we are unrighteous, we are um, lawbreakers, and therefore we need the righteousness of Christ to cover us before God. But again, righteousness is a word that can be used horizontally as well. And here, in the, generally when it's used horizontally, it has to do with good works. It has to do with being morally excellent as we deal with other people, as we're gracious to them. And so that's what Paul is talking about here, that your good deeds, your moral excellence, as it's shown to those whom you have contact with every day, will endure forever. Now that's a pretty powerful thing when you begin to think about it. That when I honor the Lord and His grace to me by generous acts to others, He's going to empower that to have a lasting, lasting effect. That's something. Now what, that, what does that look like? Paul's going to get back to that in a minute. The promise is that when our gratitude is expressed, with Godward-focused generosity, that it has even an effect of lasting forever. What investments do we make otherwise that last forever? 
Nothing. But we invest in gratitude and thanks to God. He promises they will last forever. Now we're going to get to how that happens in a minute. And so God blesses our gratitude then, however, stronger. Right? We're talking about how does God make my little gift, how does he make it bigger? How does he make it stronger? He does it by giving us more opportunity to show grace to others. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. What Paul is talking about here, I think, is as we show we are faithful with what we have been blessed with in the way that we express gratitude with our time, treasure, and talents. He gives us more. We never run out of those gifts from Him to share and bless others. And I think even so, it even means more than that, where, okay, I'm going to do this here. He gives us more opportunity. Not just more ability to do that, but more opportunities. He increases our ability when we show ourselves faithful. An example of this um, now, this is an example of a church, but I think it can be applied to any believer. There's a church in Lafayette, Indiana, called Faith Baptist Church. Faith Baptist Church is, a, um, is central in the biblical counseling movement. Their church is based on biblical counseling. It has the ethos of biblical counseling. They teach biblical counseling worldwide. Um, they, that is their thing. Like, you go to that church, that is what you know. Roughly 30 years ago, 25 years ago, they're a congregation of over 1,500 people, but their sanctuary would only hold 500. So they would have to have four services a Sunday so that everybody could come once. And they were sick of that. They raised money, they were going to expand their sanctuary, build a new one with their, the property that they had acquired, and just before they're ready to sign the dotted line and, you know, scoop that first scoop with the golden shovel and start the building project, through prayer, they thought to themselves, sure, we could spend $15 million in a new sanctuary, but that's just for us, for one, maybe two hours a week. Is this the best way to use God's gifts to us? So what they did was they, back then, they took out a full-page ad in the local newspaper, and they surveyed the community. What does our community need? And it came back. They needed a community center. So they took their $15 million and they built a YMCA. Pool, gym, racquetball, food. And on the main floor, counseling offices. Outside, skate park, baseball diamonds, soccer fields. So the community would come there. And as the church mingled, they would get to know this person that they're sitting watching their kids play t-ball and, you know, get to know and talking, and, well, you know, there's free counseling right there in the church. And so they were faithful. A few years later, Subaru is made in Lafayette, Indiana. They come to the church, and they say, we would really like to build a home so that if there's a, a mother and her children and they're fleeing an abusive husband and father, they have a place to go. Or a family loses their home in a fire, they have a place to go. But we don't want to do it. We're going to give you enough money to build it and then run it for 10 years. You take care of it. A few years later, another group come to them, say, we want to build a halfway house for women. So when they come out of prison, they have a place to go to before they go into the world. 
They give them all the money to build it and run it for years and so on and so forth. This happens, this happens every few years. Someone comes to them out of the blue and gives them money to do ministry. Why? Because they were, because of their gratefulness to God, they were generous to others, and God then blessed them with more and more and more to be generous with and more opportunities to show gratitude in that way. To show gratitude so that God would be thanked. So that others would come and see Him. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. People were being inspired. People were being moved in what they thought about things because of what the people were doing. The purpose of this gratitude wasn't first and foremost to relieve the suffering. It was to point people to God and to remind people of who God is, that they would give thanks to Him because of their generosity. We've all heard stories, right, of a family who... They're, they're sitting around the table and it's their last can of beans or their last piece of bread and they don't know where anything is going to come from. There's no food in the cupboards. There's no job. There's no money. And there's a knock on the door. And someone leaves a bag of groceries at their point of needing it the most. A job comes. A check arrives in the mail just in the nick of time. My wife and I were meeting with someone just not too long ago and she had no idea. She absolutely could not pay her bill. She didn't know how it was going to happen. But it happened. What happens when we have stories like that? When people have those experiences where the generosity of someone else expressed in gratitude for what God has done, it comes upon them. They can do nothing but thank God for what they have. It points them to Him. That is the ultimate purpose of this, is the opportunity then for worship. Look at verse 13 again. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Think about that. Because of their gratitude, they're generous. Someone is moved to worship to worship God. When, what he's getting at here, though, isn't we're not just helping people who are just like us. We're helping other, right? We have time, treasure, and talents that we can, we can generously use. So that might be across denominational lines. It might be with those whom we have disagreements with. It might be those who we, we have a different skin color than. Anything else. This is about thanking God by providing the needs for someone else that the truth of Jesus Christ could be heard and they would be moved to worship the one true and living God. That's how our gratitude can inspire someone to worship. Look at verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Again, moved to worship. To give thanks. Again, not to the person, right? So when we're doing this the right way, it's not, yeah, look at me. I just wrote a big check. Yep. When we give out of, the gener out of gratitude, 
It all goes to Christ. We learn to deflect whatever thankfulness we receive those things, but we point them to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they would worship. That is the point. Listen to what one commentator wrote about this. This is remarkable when we think about the historical context of Gentiles and Jews. In the middle of the first century, would Jewish people ever have predicted that a predominantly Gentile church in Corinth would voluntarily gather gifts for the poor in Jerusalem? Hardly. For although gifts from well-to-do Jews in the dispersion, those who had left Jerusalem, were frequently sent to their relatives and friends in Judea, donations from Greeks, then sent to what people they thought were barbarians, would never be collected and sent. But now, Gentile believers show their loving concern for the poor in another country and in another city. This is God's grace at work in the hearts of both the donors and the recipients to bring them together as one united and universal body of Christ. I think it's hard for us to to get an idea of what it would mean for a Gentile who for centuries, if not millennia, was lower than the dogs to to a Jew, would collect money and give to the Jews, and the Jews would then accept it. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about a separating wall broken down by Jesus Christ, and that's what we see here. That because of Jesus Christ, those who would, who would never, ever want to be near each other help each other in the most basic ways. And it results in worship. And then verse 15 just brings us back to the beginning. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Children, what is the inexpressible gift that God... What is the gift that is so awesome that we just can't find words to talk about it? It is the gift of Jesus Christ and His grace to us. We like to get gifts. Have you ever had a gift that was so fantastic that you just couldn't find the words to talk about it? That's the gift of Jesus Christ to us. That's the gift that is the the power, the impetus, the thing that drives us in gratitude to be generous to others. Now again, if you've been listening to me and you've just been hearing they want more money, they want us to be generous, give more, then I've failed. What Paul wants us to do is he wants us us to be encouraged. He wants us to understand that when we help others bring glory to God with an attitude of gratitude, it's different than just writing a check. I was trying to think of an illustration to help help us understand what Paul is getting at and, and look at it a little further and understand the power of our gifts given for the glory of God. And again, coming back to that idea of something being so small, right? The Macedonians, they, they just had nothing to give, but yet they gave. Um, there's a story of the widow who puts two pennies, right? All that she has in Jesus comments about that in the book of Matthew. And so let's say you're deeply grateful for God's grace in your life, and you give whatever you can give, and you look at it, it's like, I gave $100. It seems so small. It's it's 0.1% of the budget for a missionary. It's, it's insignificant. 
is it even matter? But I want you to think about something. That when we, when we give in this way, as an expression of our gratitude to Jesus Christ, we give that, that small, generous gift to that missionary, and they go and work. It doesn't matter where, they go and work. Through that work which you've supported, someone is brought to Christ. Someone confesses the name of Christ. They're converted. Now, do some math for me. What is 0.1% of eternity? Because that's what your small gift of $100, of 0.1% of a missionary's budget, provides the opportunity for. Someone to be translated from death to life, from darkness to light, from heaven, from hell to heaven. So do the math. 0.1% of a small generous gift for eternity is still eternity. It is a forever blessing as God describes it here in this passage. It is strong, it is powerful, and it grows and has long-lasting forever effects. Because we give. Because we have been given so much. If the chief end of man is truly to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, and we can inspire others to do that because we are grateful for God, then we need to praise the Lord for that. Will you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, You have given us so much. And so, Lord, we turn in this day and in many days to give You thanks for the gift that You have given us in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that You would work in each of our hearts, that if we have time that we would generously give it as we are able. That if we have talents, that we would use them to bring others to Jesus Christ and inspire them to life in Him. If we have treasure, that Lord, we would be generous. That Your kingdom would be built. That men, women, boys, and girls would be moved from darkness to light. And so, Father, we give You thanks for Your inexpressible gift to us. And so, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would move us, shape us, grow us, to be a people that express our gratitude in this way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.